Good morning and welcome to our online Sunday service here at Faith on Hill Church. Uh, we meet every Sunday morning online and in person at 10.30 a.m. Uh, online, of course, we are at faithonhill.com and on our Facebook page there's an audio-only version on Apple Music and Spotify podcasts. Uh, if you are online with us on uh, Facebook, welcome. We're glad you're here. We do believe that the best interactive and viewing experience is at faithonhill.com, but wherever you're at, we'd love for you to uh, say hello in the chat. Let us know that you're here. If you're listening the audio version, you can uh, email adam at faithonhill.com and just let us know that you're listening. We appreciate you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, how we meet in person is everyone's wearing masks, the chairs are spread out, uh, we're doing everything as safe and, and as we know how and as, uh, according to the guidelines as we know how. Uh, we are of course excited about the, the rollout of the vaccines and, and kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel uh, for this pandemic and we continue to pray that uh, God would enlighten our public health experts and our researchers and our scientists uh, to know how to best bring that all about. Uh, small groups on Zoom will be starting up again here in January. Uh, we don't publicly publish the link because uh, we don't want those Zoom bombs that were going on. So if you don't uh, have the link to our small group, uh, it's every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Uh, for Zoom. Not this week, next week. Um, but you can email smallgroups at faithonhill.com. And we'd love to see you there. It's, it's nothing too crazy. Um, we have questions from the Sunday sermon that we talk about, and we go more in-depth into God's Word. Uh, we pray together, um, and we just check in with one another. We're a community. We're a church family. So that's what we do. It's our, it's our midweek meetup. Also, on Thursdays, we have our 20-minute Bible study that's currently going through the book of Exodus. New episodes release on Thursday in video form on our Facebook page and in audio form on Apple Music and Spotify. We're beginning a series studying the book of Daniel. And the big idea for this series is living in exile. God's people were being punished for years of rebellion and sin against him. The northern ten tribes of Israel had been invaded and conquered and carried away by the Assyrian Empire. And now the southern tribes, including Judah and Jerusalem, were being laid siege to by the Babylonian Empire. The book of Daniel is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It is also one of the most heavily criticized and opposed books of the Bible. And I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, it's one of the books that speaks most directly to the Messiah. And I have found almost universally that whenever a book of the Bible, especially in the, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, speak directly to the Messiah, that's when the critics come out. Because if you criticize uh, or, or reject the Bible, when it speaks to Messiah, then you are directly opposing Jesus. And make no mistake, wherever Jesus is proclaimed, there will be a spiritual opposition to that proclamation. I also think one of the reasons why it is so opposed is because it speaks so directly to our present situation and to the future. It is a heavily prophetic book. 
And people don't like that because it makes us uncomfortable. If the Bible really is the divinely inspired word of God, then it has something to say to my life. And maybe I don't want God speaking to my life. Maybe I like my life the way it is. And the idea that there is a God and he would have something to say to me that would directly affect my world makes me uncomfortable. Now, I have found that many of the criticisms directed towards the book of Daniel from Bible critics, from uh, opponents of the Christian faith, uh, are, are really the same as many other books of the Bible. Um, in, in the third century, so 300 years after Jesus, there was this philosopher, Perophius. And, and Perophius, uh, re he rejected the Christian faith. And as he was examining the Christian faith, one of the things that he rejected or objected to was the book of Daniel. And he said this book was far too accurate in its prophecies concerning future kingdoms and kings and this Messiah, Jesus, that the Christians proclaim. Therefore, it must not have been written when they say it was written. It must have been written much later by somebody who wrote a book and made it seem as if they had written it beforehand, but really they were writing it after the fact. It would be as if somebody wrote a book um, about uh, World War II or 9-11 or the moon landing or whatever, but then they claimed that the book had been written in 1840. That's what uh, Prophius was saying. He said, this, this book is far too accurate in its prophecies. And then his rejections uh, were uh, argued against. Um, in, in fact, um, Jerome, who was one of the early church fathers, a church writer, uh, a lot of his writing ministry was rejecting this idea. And then later on, during the Enlightenment, uh, Enlightenment critics of the Bible took up his banner and said, yeah, this guy was on to something. Here's the thing. Those same critics, whose work is still influential, didn't have the facts we have today. They didn't have the Dead Sea Scrolls. They didn't have the historical, the archaeological evidence that we have today. Personally, I believe they had enough evidence in their own day to be convinced. But they certainly would not have their arguments stand if, if they were made today, because we know more than we knew then. The, um, the next sort of objection is a really common one. For example, in Jeremiah 46, verse 2, Jeremiah was a prophet who was older than Daniel, so he lived and he prophesied before Daniel, but then uh, he lived also at the same time as Daniel, and so he was concurrent. You know, it's, it's like uh, Daniel was probably about 16 years old when he was taken into captivity in Babylon, and Jeremiah might have been like 30, 35, so maybe there's 15, 20 years difference. So he lived before him, but then also prophesied at the same time. And in, Daniel, or in Jeremiah 46, verse 2, he said that the invasion of Babylon happened in the fourth year of the reign of King Jehoiakim in Jerusalem. Now, Daniel, when he wrote about that, he said that it happened in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Jerusalem. And so they say, hey, you know what? If Daniel can't even get his years right, how can you trust it? I read a lot of secular history. I'm reading a biography of Charles de Gaulle. I'm reading a massive, expansive history of the Western Church. Um, 
I have uh, a, a history of um, a, a few other history books on my, on my desk that I'm getting ready to read. I love history. And I know this, that historians do not agree. It's interesting, a couple years ago, I read a biography of Winston Churchill. Right now I'm reading a biography of Charles de Gaulle. The historians who wrote each of those books are well-respected men, learned men. They don't agree on the importance of certain meetings or of certain people within the sphere of politics and power in Europe in the 1940s. They don't agree. A historian in America, or not even one historian, but a group or a school of historians might have come to one conclusion, and a school or a camp of historians in France might come to a different conclusion. And then maybe a, a school of thought emerges in, among academics in China or Japan or India, and they say, you're all wrong. This is nothing new. So if there is a disagreement between the prophet Jeremiah as a historian and the prophet Daniel as a historian over one year, I've read enough history to know that shouldn't be a big deal. And there is a little bit of a double standard going on. That being said, what's interesting is that they aren't disagreeing. A couple of years ago, I was in a lecture by a historian, somebody who is well-respected, who has her doctorate in American church history. And I asked her a question in the Q&A time of the lecture. And she didn't know what I was talking about. And she should have. And that's kind of the same thing that's going on here. The historians, the Bible critics who are calling out this discrepancy, they should know these things and they don't. How a king's reign, the, the, how they called it the first year, the second year, the third year of the king's reign, was different in Babylon, where Daniel was living and writing, than it was in Jewish thought, where Jeremiah, living in Jerusalem, was living and writing. So it would have been the fourth year of King Jehoiakim's reign if you were writing to uh, or, or in the Jewish cultural thought. But it would have been the third year of his reign if you were writing in the Babylonian thought, because the moment you're crowned king, that's the first year of your reign to the Jews. And the year after you were crowned king, that's the first year of your reign, according to the Babylonians. Why I'm mentioning these things is because I believe that the, the book of Daniel is a historically accurate book, and it's a historical story. It, it tells us about the past. And I believe it does so faithfully. God had been warning his people for over 150 years that the Babylonians were coming and they needed to repent. The prophet Isaiah, who was a prophet that lived about 100, 150 years before Daniel. And the reason I'm being loose on these years is because we, we understand that um, you know, there is a certain range of when somebody lived or died. We're not a, we don't have 100% certainty. So we understand that they lived in this general time frame. And by the way, I mean, we still have that today. Winnie McCord, uh, who passed away in our church a few years ago, there was disagreement in her family about how old she was. That's, that's now. And we, we, we have disagreement about how old somebody was. So uh, 
you know, you go back into ancient times, it's not surprising that there's a certain range of decades, uh, you know. But Isaiah, who lived 100, 150 years before Daniel, prophesied in Isaiah chapter 44 and 45 in the Bible, and he specifically named the king Cyrus, who at the end of the Babylonian captivity allowed the people to go back. So Isaiah had been prophesying about this coming judgment. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 6, prophesied about this coming invasion, this coming judgment. God had been warning his people, repent, turn away from your sins, return to me. And they would not. So God brought justice for their wickedness. Jesus and if you don't know, I think Jesus is a pretty big deal. Jesus confirmed Daniel as both a historian and as a prophet. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Jesus said it's just like the prophet Daniel wrote. So Jesus is saying he's a prophet. He spoke the word of God. And he was a historian. He was accurate. What he wrote was true. And I'm going to go with what Jesus said over what anybody else said. Simple as that. But here's the thing I know. One of the things that I was really determined not to do, because I love history, is I didn't want to turn this into a lecture that would be better suited for a Bible college class. Because history is the story of people. The book of Daniel is a human story. Yeah, there's a bunch of people that say you can't trust the book of Daniel, but I believe that the evidence historically bears out that you can. But why that's important is not so that you know the facts and the dates and the years and the names of generals and battles and long-forgotten wars. The, the issue is that history is the story of people. And the book of Daniel is a very human story. I believe that it speaks clearly and directly to where we are today in 2021. Imagine your Daniel. Daniel was, we don't know for sure how old he was, but from things that are implied throughout the, uh, the book of Daniel and other parts of the Bible, um, and things that are just kind of common sense uh, to the situation, Daniel was probably somewhere between 14 and 18 years old, and most people land, seem to land on the age of 16. So let's say that you're 14, 15, 16-year-old boy. Remember back to what you were at that age. How aware were you? Yes, Jeremiah was prophesying in Jerusalem. Yes, Isaiah had written his prophecies. Warning of this coming Babylonian conquest. But how aware were you of anything when you were that age? I, I mean, I was 16 years old in 1998. Um, one of the books that I have on my desk, history books that I have on my desk ready to read, um, is The Looming Tower. It's the, it's the story of... of basically how we got to 9-11 and uh, the intelligence failures that led us there. But how much attention was, anybody, was I really paying at age 16 years old to, you know, I knew that there had been a bombing 
at the embassies in Africa. I knew about the USS Cole. I knew about these things. But I was seven, 16, 17 years old. How, how much attention are you paying to foreign terrorism? So here you're Daniel, and you're probably, because he was kidnapped and then brought into, uh, we're going to find out next week, he's brought into um, the service of the Babylonian king. So he's probably a member of the elite, the aristocracy, the, the ruling class, probably as highly educated as you could be at that time in Israel. Uh, his social set would have been probably the people dismissing the words of prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah because they were the most interested in the status quo. And you're told by the prophets who are saying, there, there were people in that day who were claiming to be prophets for God, and they were saying, this is fine, we're the people of Israel, we're God's people, he will never let us be conquered, and we will uh, get through this. And then all of a sudden, your city is sacked, and you are taken captive. And your whole narrative of the world is destroyed. All of us have narratives. This is how the world is. And then something happens that shatters that narrative. And who knows what it is for you. For me, you know, my dad dying when I was 13, that was a big narrative shattering event. But then I had friends who never had that happen in their teen years, but then something happened to them in their 20s or their 30s, and their whole world gets shaken. Their understanding of the world gets called into question. And that's what's happened to Daniel. I thought we were God's people. I thought we were protected. I thought that we were never going to be conquered. And here he is being carried in chains to a foreign land. He would never see his home again. I believe that one of the ways Daniel speaks so clearly to us in 2021, in our day, in America, in Oregon, in Milwaukee, Oakland, Gladstone, Portland, wherever, you, wherever you're at, is that many have thought that America was Jerusalem. That's been the personal narrative of many people of faith. That America is a sort of new Jerusalem. That we are God's chosen people. But really, Christians are God's people. And we haven't been living in Jerusalem. I believe we've been living in Babylon the whole time. And we're just starting to wake up to it. And this is the the, the culture shock, the system shock that has been so hard for so many Christians. That our narrative of the world, this idea that America was sort of a new Jerusalem. And you see so many fighting against that. We have to protect and preserve. But we have always been in Babylon. We have always been God's people, a witness to a sinful world. And that world includes America. Well, don't you know the, the moral decline of America? I think that is true. I, I mean, there is no question that from when I was 16 years old in 1998 to now being 38 years old, almost 39 here in 2021, that there has been certain moral declines. There's no question about that. Things, things that God calls wicked have in our lifetime 
moved from being something that existed but was not publicly embraced, and now it is publicly embraced and held up as good. What God has called wicked, we as a society have said is good. There's no question about that. At the same time, many things that God has called wicked, we are saying are bad. It's, it's far more complicated. It's not easy or simple. Hatred, bigotry, slavery, functional apartheid under Jim Crow laws. We're, we're better off than we were there. It, it used to be that a man could abuse his wife and the law protected him. We're changing that. Not fast enough, not quick enough, but that's changing. So this idea that we were once this city on a hill and now we have devolved into debauchery, there's some truth to that. And yet at the other hand, we've always been debauched. Several years ago, I read a book that I do not recommend, but it's called The Renegade History of America. And one of the scenes of the book says this is the house that John Adams rented in Philadelphia for the Continental Congress. 1776. And this is the route, the most direct route from that house to Liberty Hall, where he would have gone to sit in the Continental Congress. And then it described everything that John Adams would have seen on his way there. And he would have seen legalized brothels. He would have seen people hung over or still passed out because in 1776 the average American drank the equivalent of five shots of hard liquor a day. The, the America had a high, and Philadelphia in particular, had a high alcohol substance abuse rate. He would have seen slave markets or been, been in close proximity. So this idea, this narrative that says we were somehow the New Jerusalem that we were somehow God's special people. I think we're waking up to the fact that we have always been living in exile in Babylon. And I, I'm not un unpatriotic. I have not only traveled to other countries, but I've lived abroad for a few years. I like America, okay? So I'm not trying to be anti-American. But what I'm saying is, is that America is a country that needs Jesus, just like the rest of the world does. And that I, as much as I'm thankful that I was born here, I recognize that as a Christian, this world is not my home. And that America is my mission field. It's not Christendom. And I think that is the thing where we can relate to Daniel. Born in Jerusalem, thinking he was part of this special holy people, only to find out that his people had been so rebellious to God that God had had to judge them and... He is now hauled off as a captive in Babylon. He's in exile from his land. Right now, we do not live in our home. Our home is heaven. Our home is the true new Jerusalem that is coming at a future time. And some of us have known that for longer, and some of us have been waking up to this fact. But while Daniel is on his way we're going to see this next week when we get into Daniel chapter 1. While he is on his way to Babylon, 
he chooses, he is convinced and convicted in his heart that he is going to be God's servant in exile. Remember I said that Daniel's story is a very human story? Daniel's story is a story of exile. And exile is the story of God's people. This world is not our home. We live here, but we are not from here or not going here. Our city is a city not built with human hands. Like it says of Abraham, he had no lasting city this side of heaven. And that's why I think Daniel's a relevant story. It's a very relevant story. I believe that as we study the book of Daniel together, that God will speak to us both on a personal and a cultural level, that Daniel's writings speak about our past. We can learn from history. They will speak to our present. How do we as Christians in 2021 live and serve God and love our neighbor while being exiles in our land? And it speaks to our future. Much of the book of Daniel, in fact, from essentially Daniel chapter 8 on, it speaks to the future, speaks to Daniel's future, and much of it speaks to our future. And I believe that we will see that we have great reason for hope and optimism because of the work that God is still doing. Now, I want to say this. Um, I know that we just went through one of the hardest years that most of us have been through. And it's going to be a while until we find some equilibrium. But just remember that when we read through these parts of the scripture, that we are, we are reading about people that have also walked through dark days and seen the faithfulness of God. They have walked through dark times and seen God's love and care and compassion for them. And God's love and his care and his concern and his compassion for you and me is not any different. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in Jesus will not die in their sins, but we will have everlasting life. And just as God was directly involved in the lives of these Israelite exiles in Babylon, so too I believe God is directly involved in the lives of people here in our day and in our time and in our place. And God is calling people out of this world and saying, this world is not your home. Come and find the freedom of Jesus. Come and have that burden lifted, have that guilt and that shame washed away. And there is an invitation for all of us to trust the work that Jesus has done on the cross so that I know that I will have peace with God. So I know that, you know what, I know this world is not right. It's not how it's supposed to be. But I know that God is working towards justice. And God is working on a plan that will make everything as it should be. If you have any questions about anything I've said, if you just want to connect and chat, my name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill Church. And my email is adam at faithonhill.com. If you just need somebody to pray with you, let us know. God's here. God is listening. God hears our prayers. God bless you.